I um, want to talk to you about something this morning. But I want to preface with these opening remarks. And don't forget that I'm saying this, so when I get to the other, you'll remember this. I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. I believe Jesus is God. And that I believe that God took upon flesh and came into the world. Made a payment for the sins of the world. That he came back from the dead, sent it into heaven. I had trusted Christ as my Savior. I know I have eternal life. I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. And I want you to understand that I do believe that Jesus Christ is more precious to me than the, anybody that I know. And more real than the clothes I have on my back. I believe I know the Lord. I love the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. I also would like to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. That I have committed my life to the Lord. And I would hope that after 53 years, nobody would ever question or doubt that. But I want you to understand, I did not trust Christ as my Savior so that I could have a so-called personal relationship with God. It's good, but that's not why I trusted the Lord. It might be why some people do, but I can't believe it's the reason why everybody does. I love him and I serve him, but I do not do it to be saved, to stay saved, or prove that I'm saved. And if I didn't, I'm still saved. He is that real to me that I can't understand why everyone that knows him won't serve him. I have a difficulty. Because I can't picture me not serving him. I can't even fathom the idea. I have never in my 53 years of knowing the Lord sought to be rebellious to God. I've never walked away from God. I haven't what you call backslid on God. I don't know what that would be like. I've watched many people who have. I've seen their aches and pains and their, their moans and their groans. Of people, God's people, that have rebelled against the Lord, ruling and guiding and guarding their life. I haven't. Many have. I am not at any time trying to exalt myself in any way. If you think so, you don't know me. I try to be real, as sincere as I know to be. But there's a relationship that takes place when you get saved. Where he became my father, and I became his child. That relationship as a father and son has never changed. That relationship, in reality, to me, can't be broken. I believe that the fellowship between you and your heavenly father can be strained at times. Because not always walking as close to the Lord as we ought to. But there are many people who believe that the reason you get saved is because you wanted to have that personal relationship with the Lord. And that personal relationship to many is talking about your walk with God. Therefore, if you got saved in order to have that relationship with God. And then if you don't have that relationship with God and he's not that precious to you or you're not walking with him as you ought to, then evidently 
you have reason to question or to doubt your salvation because you see your relationship isn't what it ought to be. You're not living like you ought to. So then it's evident that maybe your life has not really been committed to the Lord. And you've broken that commitment. And if you got saved because you committed your life to Christ, or because you decided to make Christ the Lord or the master of your life, then you have reason to doubt your salvation. So then you look at the evidence in your life and you're not happy or satisfied with it. And I believe a lot of people are totally deceived that they don't see as clearly and discerning as other people can see, that they would never think that they were saved because Christ was absolutely Lord and master of every area of their life. So I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 2, the gospel of Luke and chapter 2. I want to seek to be as simple as I can, and yet at the same time, as clear as I can. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, look there in verse 8. Because I did not trust Christ as my Savior so that I could have a personal relationship with God. I have it, but that's not why I got saved. I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. I was looking some, for some good old fire insurance. And I got some that I didn't have to make any payments on. The premiums have already been paid. I didn't make a deal with God. That if you save me, Lord, I promise you I will. I made no deals with God. And what I like about it, God didn't ask for any. He didn't ask me to commit anything, change anything, alter anything. None whatsoever. That I could simply accept this free gift of eternal life and that's it. And he would save me by grace, not because I earned it or deserved it, but he loved me that much. That's almost too good to be true. That's what some people is so hard to believe. And I'll have to admit, it took me all several months before I finally could see what my father-in-law was talking about. It was hard for me to believe that I could be saved and have eternal life and didn't have to change one thing in my life. And God would still keep his word. Because I didn't have to keep my word. I didn't give it. All I did was accept the free gift of eternal life. I've had people say, well, if you believe that, that means you'll just live like the devil. I haven't for 53 years. So there must be something else to this. And I believe there is. So here in the book of Luke in chapter 2, it makes a statement in verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to a few elect. Which shall be to what? Now, I wonder if he really meant that. He probably didn't really mean that. He probably meant just to a few select that he was going to save. Now, you could ask a child, what do you think that means, which shall be to all people? They would probably say, everybody. But you have some theologians today that know the Hebrew and the Greek, and that don't mean that. 
They're too smart for their own good. But a child can understand this. A child can understand a gift, something that's free. And he says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a trailblazer, which is Christ the Lord, a Savior. That means that, get this, who is the Savior? He is Christ the Lord. That's who he is. He is the Lord. It's a title. He is God. He does rule. He has all power. It's God. Manifested in the flesh. In the gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And He made all things. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ was born, as he says here, which is, this is who he was at that time, Christ the Lord, and just a baby. But that's still who he was. This child was going to be the Savior of the world, to die on the cross and pay for all the sins of everybody. Now, there's some people that don't believe that. They don't understand this. This is too hard and complicated to get. But I believe it's very simple. Turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, where we find there's a woman who went to the well about noon. And maybe because of the lifestyle that she had, she went in the heat of the day, not in the cool of the day. She'd been married five times, and she was... Um, living with a man now that wasn't her husband. So when Jesus went there, the first thing he says, woman, you better change your lifestyle. But he didn't. But he says, I must needs go through Samaria because there was, a, there was a fish there and he was going to go catch a fish. Jesus was going fishing. Now his disciples went into town and they got them a McDonald hamburger. But he stayed there because he says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. So he says up here in verse 9, Then said the woman of Samaria, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which of a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God. But it's not really a gift. That's just to sucker them in. Or do you think he really meant gift? You think G-I-F really means a gift. And that it's free. You really believe that? You are smarter than a lot of people with PhDs, with doctorates, because they can't believe that it's really free. They believe it's free, but you have to commit your life. It's free, but I've got to make Christ the Lord the master of my life. But it's free. I have a problem with that. Either it's free or he's a liar. He's not a good man. He's deceitful. Say what you mean, mean what you say. God cannot lie. He says, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee, give me to drink, thou would have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. She says, I'm ready for it. Give it to me. Yankeeology. 
He says, the water that's in this well, when you drink this water, you'll thirst again. He said, I got some water. Once you drink it, you never have to thirst. You never have to drink another swallow. Because one drink of the water that I have is good for all time and eternity. You never have to do it again. And people can't see that. Because she says in verse 13, he said, Jesus answered, said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water that was in that well where she was drawing water from shall thirst again. He said, I got some water. You don't have to thirst anymore. Fifty-three years ago, I took a swallow of some water. Never had to do it again. That one swallow has been good for 53 years. It means that I got saved 53 years ago, and I never have to get saved again. And the reason is because I can't get lost. Thirst no more. Thirst no more. I've never thirsted again. Never had to get saved again. Because once was enough. But what I want you to also see is in verse 42. Look in verse 42. Some men came, and Jesus never talked to her anywhere in this whole passage about you must commit your life to Christ or you must make Christ the Lord and the master of your life. Not even mentioned. If it was so important and you had to do it, then he left out part of the gospel because he didn't require it. You and I, we want people to live right. Therefore, we demand it of them. But God did not demand that I have to live right to go to heaven. Now, don't forget what I told you at the beginning. I love the Lord. I seek to live as godly of a life I know how to live. And I have been as faithful as I know how to be in every area of my life for 53 years. But that is not what gets me to heaven. What gets me to heaven is because in a little old living room in Athens, Georgia, I accepted Christ as my Savior. He's the Savior, not me. I'm not even helping Him save me. I'm trusting Him to do His job. But I know that that one who saved me, I know who He is. He's the Lord. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And just because I call him the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't mean that he has to be the Lord and the master of my life. It's that I'm recognizing him. That's who he is. I can recognize that there's a God and believe that there's a God and yet have no desire to love God or serve God or want anything to do with God. There's a lot of people like that. But along the way, I want you to understand that when you trust Christ as your Savior... There is a relationship that takes place. Because the moment you trust him as your savior, even in the gospel of John, he says you must be born again. There is no relationship between you and God without a birth into his family. When I was born into his family, I became his child. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. I became a child of God that very moment. So there's a relationship between me and God. We're related. He's my dad. I'm his child. That can never be changed. From here on out, never be changed. Altered by me or God. I'm his child forever. Now, I want you to take your Bible and look there in the book of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. A lot of times people want to know, well, what is the real reason Christ came into the world? 
I think he kind of gives us an idea. He was in chapter 19 talking to a, a little feller by the name of Zacchaeus. You ever heard the story about Zacchaeus? He was a wee-wee man, and a wee-wee man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree to what? See what he could see. And as the Savior passed that way, I don't forget the rest of it. I never went to Sunday school, remember. Verse 9. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham, today salvation is come to this house. See, this is why Christ came. Because even the very next verse, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, if that's a true statement, then anyone in the world that is lost, he came to save. Yes or no? So it can't be that he came and selected a few, because if he selected a few, well, wait a minute, weren't they lost too? Isn't it the lost that's going to help? So if he does anything, then he should love all of them. How can he just love these without loving them? These are no better than those. Because, you see, there's some people think that God chooses to save a few people and give them the faith to believe. That's heresy. If you give them the faith to believe, the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That's what I heard. I even read it in the Bible. So I believe that God so loved the world. But there's some people who can't say God loves the whole world. He just loves a few that he chose to save. And predetermined to save only this few people. Well, that sounds good. Sounds so intellectual. It is just so wrong. It is just so wrong. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Mark. The book of Mark. And chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12. Remember this simple little illustration. That if a man had to make Christ the Lord or the master of his life, it means that you have to commit yourself to serving the master. And if that's true, it means that you can't really know you're saved until you have served the master. That means that you have to wait till you die to find out if you did the job. Well, that's not the Bible. That means that you can't know you're saved now if it depends upon you. You can't trust you. You're the problem. Well, me too. We can't trust us to do right. I can trust him. So if I have any security, it's because I'm only trusting him. But if you add me into the mixture, I have reason to question and doubt everything. I don't trust you and you don't trust me. And that's just the truth. Do you trust me to live a perfect life from here on out? I don't you either. That doesn't mean I don't like you. Some of you I even love. Two or three. But what I want you to see here in Mark chapter 12. In verse 28. One of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together. And perceived that he had answered them well. Asked him which is the first commandment of all. Commandment. Commandment. A commandment means these are not 
ten suggestions. These are ten commandments. They are what God commands you to do. And the penalty of not doing the commandment is the wages of sin is death. And since every man has broken the commandments, every man has to pay for that, which is eternal separation from God. So how you doing? Now look what he said. And in verse 29, and said unto them, said unto him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That is the first commandment. You're talking about Christ is Lord of all, or not Lord at all. He's got to be Lord of all. Every area. And this is the second commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. All the laws fulfilled in this. Love God, love each other. How you doing? Do you love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength? No, you don't. You love you. And most people do whatever they really want to do that they think is best for them. I mean, this whole world's been set up just for me. Make me happy. Please me. Do what I want. And you're going to find out you're going to have a lot of pity parties because people ain't coming to your party. But this is lordship salvation. This is the law. Therefore, the law demanded perfection. But we all fail. So take your Bible real quick and turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want you to see this real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a simple little verse. And it says there in verse 1. This is on page 223 in an old Schofield reference Bible, one of the church Bibles. Now these are the commandments. Verse 1 of chapter 6. These are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgment which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land where you go to possess it. That you might do it. Down in verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do. This is what you got to do. But you see, that's what the law is. Do, 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 do this. Do that. And if you don't do it, you're going to have to make a sacrifice to atone for your sin. And if you don't, you die. Sounds pretty good. Don't you want to live under the law? Well, there's some people who have climbed to the top of Mount Sinai and looked into the future. And lo and behold, they saw Mount Calvary. They don't go to Mount Calvary. They stand upon Mount Sinai. And they look into the future, down the road, and they can see Mount Calvary over there. And they can see that somebody died on the cross and paid for the sins of the world and came back again from the dead. So they believe that they need to trust that one that pays for their sins to make installments for them. Because if I keep failing to do these laws that I'm on Mount Sinai then I have to keep applying forgiveness for this one. Then if I sin tomorrow, i got to get some more, and, and they're applying it. But see, they haven't left Mount Sinai, and they haven't gone to Calvary. They try to mix the two together. They won't get off this mountain, and they won't go to the foot of that one. And they get all balled up. Understand this. Come up here a minute. Just stand right there. 
When you want a good-looking guy up here, you want a Georgian. <laughs> this is Tyler. Now, let's say Tyler is the old man. He's a lost man. He's the old man. Many people believe that what God does is he saves this old man. Well, he's a young kid, but he's an old man. He's that old man that you have. You were born. God saves the old man. So if he saves this old man, well, then you expect there to be a change in this old man. I mean, after all, God then saved him. So he ought to live different, act different, think different, talk different. And if there's no different, then I've got every reason to believe you ain't been saved yet, bud. Because, see, I'm looking for that committed life. I'm looking for him that has the Lord as the master of his life. And therefore, if I don't see a change in the man's life, because I can tell he doesn't have a relationship with God. And if there's no relationship, and he's not serving, and he's not obeying, he's not following, he must not be saved. Because any man in Christ is a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. Everything is new. But after about three or four weeks, or three or four years, there's no change in this guy. Then all of us together can unanimously declare he never really meant business. And because he didn't mean business, he's either not saved or he was saved and he got lost. So many people are working only with this old man. And they think the job is to transform this old man. We got to get this old man to think differently, to live differently. We got to get this old man to go to church now. And we got to get this man to get baptized in the water. We got to get this old man to start reading his Bible and this old man to start witnessing, this old man to start praying. That's not the gospel. So, how do you explain it? I don't know. Neither. Come up here. Stand over here. You get a bigger man. But understand how it's supposed to work. When you're born into this world, yet this is the old man. God didn't save the old man. See, I am living in this body, and this is me, and I'm the old man over here, okay? This is born of the flesh, has a sinful nature. Sinful nature, he sins. Because he sins, he's got to die. God didn't do anything with this old man. The answer to our problem is that, see, he was made under the law from Mount Sinai. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. He didn't. He has to die. Everyone born in the world is like this old man that sins. And regardless of how hard you try not to sin, you do. You can't trust you. You can tell yourself what to do and still don't do it. You don't even mind you, let alone why should anybody else mind you. We're disobedient to ourselves. Now, when I trusted Christ as my Savior 53 years ago, God didn't change this guy one iota. Didn't do anything with this guy. Nothing. Doesn't require anything of this guy. God doesn't want a lost man to commit his life to him because he can't serve him, can't please him anyway because he's in the flesh. So what God did is he gave me a new birth. You see, Jesus says you must be born again. 
new. This man cannot produce a new one. He cannot produce the new spiritual birth. This is the flesh. So lo and behold, that day, I was 18 years old. I trusted Christ as my Savior, and voila, I was born. Wish I was better looking, though. But I was born into God's family. This is a new birth. It's not that one. This is a new one. This one is born of the incorruptible Word of God. This one was born of a corruptible seed. Why is he corrupted? Because his mom and daddy was. And their mommy and daddy. A corruptible seed, we have a sinful nature, and therefore we just keep passing it on. So God did not have this guy give birth to this guy, or this guy would be just like this guy. It's separate, different. So when I trusted Christ as my Savior, God gave me a new birth. This one is born of God, not that one. Since this one is born of God, you see, this one was born without a sinful nature. Because, you see, it came from his father. His father doesn't have a sinful nature. So if he doesn't have a sinful nature, he can't sin. If he can't sin, can't die. That's why this one lives forever. That's why when you believe on Christ, you have eternal life. God didn't give him eternal life. He gave him this one, the new birth. They're separate. This is a birth of the flesh. This is a birth of the spirit. It's a spiritual birth. You can't see a spiritual birth. You can only see the flesh birth. Every one of us in here, I can tell for sure, guaranteed, without a shadow of a doubt, everyone who's been born the first time in this room. See how smart I am? All I have to do is see a body. That body gave you away. And I know that you had the first one. What I don't know is if you ever had the second one. Because if you don't have this one, you don't go to heaven. You don't collect $200 and go past go. This is the one that's born of God. This is the one that's going to heaven. When this one dies, this one is free from this body. Going to get a new body that will last as long as my new birth. So this one is born of God. It cannot sin. It cannot die. Where do both of these live? In the same body. So whenever I'm trying to commit my life to Christ, I know in my mind I can always keep these separate. This is the only one that can commit his life to Christ. Why? He's the saved man. This man, God, wants all of his children to serve him. But you're not doing it to be saved, prove you're saved, anything like that. But he has to work through the body where the old man still lives. The old man still lives in the same body. See, I only got one body. I got two births living inside of me. I got two natures living inside of me. This one has a sinful nature. This one has a divine nature. This one can't do right. This one can't do wrong. You see why you get mixed up sometimes? And they're both trying to tell you what to do. You're talking about confusion. Now, when the flesh has control of the body, he may say, do, and think things that it shouldn't do. So in the eyes of some people, see there, they question 
whether I'm really saved. Because they're judging me according to the flesh. What the flesh is not doing. But remember, the sins of the flesh for every believer is not that he doesn't exist, but that he does. There's the proof that you still have your old sinful nature because he still acts like an old sinful man. And you still do that which is wrong. So if I want to become a strong Christian, strong in the Lord, then I know that I need to study the Word of God and grow spiritually strong. And God said, if I do, then He'll bless my life. And I know that He'll use me in a greater way. And I'll have the peace and the joy that I would love to have. But you see, you don't try to get the old man to make Christ the Lord and the master of his life. See, lordship salvationists don't work on this principle. They work only on this principle. There's only one, and he trusted Christ as Savior. He's the same man. You're just trying to improve him now, trying to get him to do right, live right. And if he doesn't, he doesn't have a new birth. But you can't see the new birth. And they think this is all, this is all there is. That's not all there is. If a man doesn't have the power to let him, you know, keep him from controlling his life, and he just lets him do whatever he wants to do, you may question and doubt that a man is saved because you don't see the evidences in his life. But you cannot see a spiritual birth. I can see your first one. Can I see your second birth? For right now, can I see your second birth? No. And I can't tell for sure if you are really saved. All of you in this room can come to church. You can open up a Bible. And you can all look the same as far as what you're doing. So am I supposed then to know that you're really saved because you came to church? So I can't use that. I'll know you're saved because you got a Bible in your hand. When we stood while ago and we sung a song. Well, because we're all singing together. That means we're saved. No. So what determines whether we're saved or not? You can't use anything in a person's life as the evidence that they're a Christian. That's why there is no such thing as evidences for salvation. The day I trusted Christ as my Savior, 53 years ago, in that little old living room, I knew I had eternal life. I knew that day, that moment, I'm going to heaven. And nothing since then has ever changed that. Because all I had at that day was what God's Word said. So whenever I want to know if a man's saved or not, you know what I ask? I don't say, do you go to church? Do you pray? No, I want to know, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you know for sure you have eternal life? See, I could talk to a guy that's laying in a gutter. You guys go sit down and think. I can go and talk to a man that's a drunk laying in a gutter. And I'm not going to ask him if he's saved or not based upon how he's living. Just because he's drunk as a cougar, he's passed out or whatever, and I can get him to come too long enough. Just because he's laying in a gutter and he's a drunk doesn't mean he's lost. And just because a man comes to church and he got on a three-piece suit doesn't mean he's saved. 
You can't tell if a man saved or lost by his lifestyle. Now let me ask you a Lulu. It's a good question. But just listen to the question, but don't answer it out loud. Just in your mind. Can a practicing homosexual trust Christ as Savior, never change his lifestyle, for 10 years die and go to heaven? You'd be surprised how many people would say no. But if you can't say yes to him that he will, you can't say yes to anybody. You are not going to heaven because you don't have that lifestyle. The only way you are going to heaven and I'm going to heaven is because did we or did we not trust Christ as our Savior? That's why I'm going to heaven. I would love for everyone to have a close walk with God. I would love for every individual that the Lord meant so much to you and you loved him, appreciated him so much, it would change and alter your whole life. That you'd study his word and yes, go to church and pray and do all the things you're supposed to do. But you did it because you loved him. Not because you're standing on Mount Sinai and you have to. But because you went to Mount Calvary and you were flooded with his grace and it so overwhelms you. You just can't do anything but serve him. See, I don't serve Lord because I have to. I'm not a preacher because, well, I have to. I do it because I want to teach people the Word of God. Some people I don't think have ever been to Calvary. Oh, they heard about it. Christ died on the cross, paid for the sins of the world. Okay, but where are you going when you die? See, the reason I can't go to hell today is because I don't have any sins to pay for. And 10 years from now, you know why I can't do anything between now and 10 years? Because all my sins are paid and I still can't go to hell. I can never go to hell. I can't go today, tomorrow, forever. Never. Do you realize the joy that is, the freedom it is? A God that loves me that much and would do so much for me and then give me freedom. A freedom to choose. I can voluntarily say I want the Lord to be the master of my life. I want to serve him with all my heart. And then do it because you want to. But if I don't, I know that God cannot renege upon his promise. He cannot alter what he said. He's given me eternal life. I'm his child. But to know that he is my father. And he'll never cast me out, never lose me. That's pretty good. And I like that. But you see... You have two different births. Most people are working with this guy over here in the flesh, trying to reform him, trying to get him to do better. They say, well, if you're really saved, you won't do that. This old man hadn't been changed. You have within you the same old sinful nature you had before you got saved. You are still capable of committing every gross sin in the book, and you know it. Your mind is not that pure and you know it. You don't think as holy and godly as you ought to and you know it. And God knows it. People can deceive themselves. I'm not talking about deceiving yourself. I'm talking about being honest. 
My old man is as sinful and wicked as it's always been. And my new birth is as perfect as it's always been. And when I die physically, this old body with its old sinful nature, that old man is buried and absent from the body present with the Lord. So even when Jesus was here, he says, if a man believe in me, he shall never die. And though he die, yet shall he live. Isn't it so simple when you explain what God is saying in terms, I believe, that people can really understand. So do I want you to have Jesus Christ as the ruler and the master of your life? Yes, I do. Do I want you to commit your life to Christ? Well, of course I do. But do you do that to be saved? No. But because of what he's done for you. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in view of what God's done for you, that you present your body as a sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's for service. It's after you've been saved. It's a choice. When you got saved, it did not change your life. It did not transform your life. It gave you new life, a new birth. And that's why he says, and be not conformed to this world. And that's written to the believer. So evidently, the lost man did ha not have to transform his life and not be conformed to the world. That's to the believer. The believer, if you don't want things the way they were, don't con be conformed to the world. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. Look up here. This hand represents you and me, and this wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God says he loves us, hates our sin. And because we've all sinned, we're all condemned. We're all going to die to be eternally separated from God. And God says to go to heaven, you have to be perfect, as righteous as God, and none of us are perfect. None of us are good enough. So the Bible says you can't save yourself. You can't improve yourself. You're a sinful individual. You're born that way. You're living that way. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He didn't have any sin. Didn't have to die. Came into the world because he loved us, hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Christ took all the sin, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead and said that if we would believe that he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account. We get to go to heaven on what Christ is. See, when I trusted Christ as my Savior, he gave me a new birth. It's perfect. If it's perfect, no sin. Remember this guy over here? Is he good enough to go to heaven? Yeah, this one ain't. This one is. My second birth, I've been born twice. I'm not trying to improve this old man. I've got me a new one. And I trusted Christ, and he gave me a new birth. And eternal life as a free gift. He did it for me. He did it for you. All that we have to do is believe he did it for us, and he will save us and give us eternal life. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, maybe you've heard about it all your life. And you can hear about this and never understand it. But if you died right now, do you know positively that you'd go to heaven? Do you have the new birth? Have you been born again into God's family? If you've never done it, and I'm not asking you to stand up and come forward, not going to embarrass you in any way, but right where you are. If what I said made sense to you, and you say, preacher, I'd love to know I have eternal life and know that I'm going to heaven when I die. Friend, would you this morning, would you trust Christ as your Savior? Would you trust him? Would you believe he paid for your sins and accept that payment he made? If you will, I'd like to have prayer for you. 
And I'm going to ask you in just a moment, right not right now, but in just a moment, to raise your hand. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. You say, preacher, that made sense to me. And I want to know I'm going to heaven when I die. And I'd like for you to pray for me in closing. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is at all? Then we'll all just slip it up very quickly. Put it right back down. Yes, God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just slip it up real quick. Yes, God bless you, ma'am. God bless you back there. Anyone else? Remember, if you trust Christ right now, he saves you right now, gives you eternal life right now. When you get up to leave, you can say, I'm going to heaven because today I trusted Christ as my Savior. Father, we thank you so much for the free gift of everlasting life. We're so glad we don't have to try to live it, try to earn it. It's free. You loved us that much. Thank you for these that indicated by my uplifted hand that they would trust you as their Savior today. And for those that watch by Internet, we thank you so much for those people. We can't see them, but we are thankful every once in a while to get a, a nice letter. We ask your blessings now upon those that have come our way to visit with us. We ask your blessings upon them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.